Now, today's passage on the prodigal son, there is an element of the passage that actually is in play throughout Luke 15. And so often we want to go right to the prodigal son. But something I want you to pay attention to, and, and, and if you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, there is a really cool element of this chapter that I think is often overlooked. And so when you look at Luke 15, you will see this element shows up in three parables back to back to back. And so as I read this, I think, man, that might be important to Jesus. If he takes at least three parables to talk about this one thing. And so it, he begins in Luke 15, verses 1 through 7, talking about the parable of the lost sheep. And you might be familiar with this, right? There's a shepherd who has 100 sheep, but one out of the 100 gets lost. And so a lot of us, as we read that, we think, well, so what? Shepherd, hey, you still got 99 sheep. That's way better than the one that got away, right? So, so we read that, and I read that, and I know, well, why would the shepherd waste his time going after one sheep when he still has 99 to nurture and to raise? Well, you know, right, the 99 have a shepherd. They have someone who looks out for them, who leads them to green pastures and still waters, who fights off the wolves, who protects them. But there's still that one sheep, right, that is lost. There's still that one sheep that has no chance of survival without the shepherd. This is why the shepherd makes a big deal about it. Then you turn and you go to the very next parable, the parable of the lost coin. And this is in verses 8 through 10. And in this parable, there's a woman who has 10 coins to her name. Not just 10 coins. She has 10 coins to her name. And so she's not a very wealthy woman. And so when she loses one coin, that's a big problem, right? And so she turns on all the lights in her house. She carefully sweeps and inspects every inch of it until the coin is found. This is so neat here. When we go back to the parable of the lost sheep, this is how it ends in Luke chapter 15, verse 6. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends, the shepherd calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says to them, Celebrate with me. Because I found my lost sheep. Celebrate. Verse 7 says there is a joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life to the other 99 righteous people who don't need to celebrate the work of Christ. We're there every week. We're good. We don't have to celebrate. Then we go to the lost coin parable in Luke chapter 15 verse 9. When this lady finds her coin, we read, she calls together her friends and her neighbors and she says, celebrate with me because I found my lost coin. Celebrate. Verse 10 says, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. Joy breaks out. And so could it be that we're maybe on to something here? We're on to what makes heaven rejoice? We're on to what the scripture gives us permission to celebrate? Could it be that in these parables, Jesus is trying to tell us something? He's trying to nudge us. Because
life. I am a 32-year member, card-carrying member of the church people club. I know all the hymns. I know when to stand up. I know when to sit down. I know when I'm supposed to go, yeah, I know I'm supposed to be quiet. I know all that stuff. And I think these parables, he's talking to people like me. Probably people like you. And so many of you are familiar with the parable of the prodigal son, right? And so and you know how this goes, and so I'm not going to kind of give you part of Tyler's version of it. So a son goes up to his father, and he says, Father, you're dead to me. Please give me my, I didn't say please. Give me my share of your inheritance. So shortly after the son leaves, right, for a distant country, he quickly spends all of his inheritance. And then it's stuck in a pinch when famine comes on the land. Remember this part when you just heard it. So he goes to a citizen of the country and finds employment feeding slop to pigs. This is embarrassing to him. This is below him. He's not fed very well and he gets very hungry. He gets so hungry that he is willing to eat the slop that he is feeding the pigs. The best way for me that I can ever relate to that is he's like graduate student hungry. That's the closest way I can relate to that, which is embarrassing. But if you've been in grad school, you understand what that means. The son realizes, oh my goodness, I am now messed up. And he decides life would be better as a servant in his father's house than to do what he's doing now off on his own. And so, so what the son does, right? He does three things, and you know this, right? He gets up. He's like, I've had it. I don't want to be here anymore. I've made a mistake. He gets up. He looks around. He becomes aware of what's going on. The second thing he does, he goes home. He goes home. And he knows that part of going home means he's going to have to do something that's going to be uncomfortable. Which, in this case, was to ask forgiveness of his father. So he kind of puts a stake in the ground. He gets up. That's the first thing. Then he makes a movement. He goes home. The third thing he does, naturally, is he writes a speech. Right? How many of you do this? You start thinking of, of when you've messed up, you start playing out scenarios in your head. Right? And you start thinking of what you're going to say based off of what whoever you've offended is going to say to you. And so you start coming up with all these scenarios in your head and all these speeches. So he writes a speech and he comes up with something like, Father... I've sinned. I treated you like you were dead. So, Father, treat me like I deserve. Treat me like a higher hand. So the son goes, yeah, 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 that'll be good. I think that speech I wrote, that'll, that'll cover it. Little did he know that the father had been waiting for him to come home. The father was waiting for him. And we know this because in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, it's, it's, it reads, But while the, while, the, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. And it wasn't by chance the father saw him coming. He was a long way off. The father had been waiting for the return of his son. He was waiting. The father was waiting, waiting, waiting. The father who was a easily could have been offended by what his son did, was waiting. And the response that follows from the father is incredible. After he saw his son, he started.
might seem weird to you, but, but let me remind you of this. For a man of the father's stature to run was unheard of. Because this man, let me, let me make sure you're clear on this, this man was the owner of quite a large estate. He had enough money to give part of it to his son to go and waste and still be very set for life. This father would have probably been wearing fine robes. He probably had on an outer garment that reached the floor. It may have hit the floor and fanned out. And so in order for this father to run, he would have had to pick up his outer garment. He would have had to pick up his robes with his hands just to do this. And not just that, but this, this father who is in probably high regard in his community because of his wealth, when he picks up his robe, he would have shown his legs. <gasps> So he pulls up his robes. He's showing like his knees down. This is not good for a man to do back then. Certainly not a man of his stature. So robes up, legs out. He's running. And he runs. And he weighs his son. Meaning that he would he would have taken turns with his hands holding the garments and waving. I don't know about y'all, but that is not a normal sight. Garments in one hand, waving in the other. So could you imagine what must have been going through the son's mind when he sees his father running towards him? He's he maybe not sure he's waving. I mean, he's probably thinking, oh no, I've infuriated him at a level way worse than I thought. I mean, I've made my father so mad, he is running at me. What have I done? He, he's running at me. Pointing his finger at me, oh, wait, point, probably the same thing, right? He's waving his finger at me, saying, No, 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 get off my property, I'm so mad at you. But you know what happens, right? As the father gets closer, the son notices something different about him. And again, here's the great part of the story he's not running to him out of rage, but something else is compelling the father to run to the son. The father lets go of his robes and opens his arms. And an emotional eruption happens. The father goes in, hugs, and kisses his son. I'm going to tell you right now, as a pastor, this is not a normal ecclesiastical reading. This is different. There were no handshakes. The father and son are hugging and crying. It's probably an emotional mess. But it is so good. At this point, the father's servants, they are in awe. They have never seen their master behave in a manner like this. They don't know what to do. They're probably wondering what in the world has gotten into our master's hand that he picked up all his garments and he ran and now he's hugging somebody and being all emotional? What's gotten into him? And so the father tells them, right? He says, my son has returned. We're going to throw a party. So he tells him, he says, go grab that fat calf you've been raising. Start preparing the calf. And then you, 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 you go to parties on us. You buy them out. We're going to celebrate. And guess what? Celebrate. That's how God's stories always end. There is always a celebration. 
when the shepherd finds the sheep, he celebrates. When the lady finds her coin, they celebrate. When the father is reunited with his son, they celebrate. And it did not matter that while the son was lavish in disobedience, the father was lavish in grace and mercy. And as you're hearing this, you know the metaphor, right? We've all been the prodigal son, haven't we? Some of us are still prodigal sons and daughters. And we know and we yearn to understand how just like the father in this story, sometimes we wonder how can God want us in his arms even after we've spent a lifetime turning our back on him and sinning. So you know what? Perhaps this story isn't about a prodigal son. See, prodigal means having or giving something on a lavish scale. Prodigal means having or giving something on a lavish scale. So instead of this story being more about a prodigal son, maybe it's about a prodigal father. And it points us to a prodigal father in heaven who offers us this lavish gift of grace and love we all know we really, really don't deserve. And perhaps for some of us here today, our Father in heaven is waiting for you to turn your heart back to him. Or perhaps for some of us here today, God is waiting on you to put your Christmas and Easter people bias on hold. And he's calling you to come to the party. I see, let me tell you I'm talking about there Christmas and Easter bias. Many of you have heard of, of CEOs, right? Christmas and Easter only people. Who only show up on Christmas, only show up on Easter, right? And I know what we do in church. We go, oh, they're here. It's Easter. Oh, it's Christmas Eve. You know you're going to see so and so. That's wrong to have that attitude. I've, I've had to deal with that growing up. Perhaps God is calling his children on Christmas and on Easter. Perhaps God's not just calling us, he's inviting us to look around. And he's inviting us to say, hey look, this, this, is what your future as a church can be. So instead of looking at CEOs and going, yeah, 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 maybe we celebrate. Because God nudged them to look, to seek, to find. And see, we got to remember, right, we've been saved not by rules, not by a list, but we've been saved by the grace of God. We've been transformed by the love of God, and our community needs to experience this. And as products of grace, we must become storytellers of grace who tell our story of grace to the people God places along our path. Because we, those of us gathered here this morning, we are stewards of this life-changing message that says, because of God's great love with which he loved me, by the gift of grace from God, we are saved through faith. So here's what I want to point out to you there, right? Easter is in three weeks. Three weeks. And we are in Lent. 
Lent is a time of preparing our hearts. So I want you to prepare your heart now because on Easter, we are going to celebrate. And if that makes you uncomfortable, you need to prepare your heart. Because on Easter, we're not going to look at the Christmas, Easter only people and go, oh, well, it's there once or twice a year to come. No, 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 no. We're going to embrace it. We're going to celebrate it. We're going to love people. But see, here on Easter, there will be three types of people who will be sitting in these pews on Easter. And you're going to be one of them. The first type of people are going to be the prodigal sons, the people who only come to church on Christmas, who only come to church on Easter. But they're here. They're here. They're looking. They're seeking something. Those, those are the first type of people. And that, and that still might be you. The second type of people that are here on Christmas and Easter, and, and it bothers me to no end, are the jealous brothers that we have in this story. People who look at the Christmas and Easter only people and go, well, where are you the other 50 Sundays out of the year? And that might be you. The third type of people, and this is what I want us to do, they're the party committee. They're the party committee. They're the people that say, welcome. I've missed seeing you. I love you. And they come in, and they are so excited that God has invited them, you, me. He's invited us to be the people who tell God's story to these people. And so, so when, when the lost are found, when we find what God sent us to look for, we celebrate. And so the third type of people we need, we need the party committee. We need the people who are going to look around during the week so that when people ask, what's different about it? You say, that's God working in me. We're going to celebrate that. So on Easter, prepare your hearts. Now, we're not going to have silly string or anything silly like that. Be, be in the spirit. We need a party committee in here on Easter. Because God is a God of grace, right? And the reason we see celebrating in Scripture is because we are celebrating the most mind-blowing thing that has ever happened on earth. There was a man who said, I will die for your sins. I will rise from the dead, from the dead. And then I'll return to heaven with my heavenly father. And he did it. That is what we celebrate. So listen, listen. Easter is coming. Easter's coming. Who will you be in this story? Because at Easter, God invites the church to see what their future can be. Will you be the prodigal? Will you be the jealous brother? Or you celebrate the hope of a future in Christ when the lost are found and heaven rejoices. Praise be to God.